0: Welcome to the first episode of 2N, the new podcast for North Norfolk. Each
1: week we'll be bringing you a roundup of all the news, views, and politics from our area. And coming up in this episode.
2: I think how many people have used that railway. It's what makes Wells, really. It's so quaint and unique.
3: Cromer is not remotely like Notting Hill Gate. Had he actually visited Cromer?
0: Just the need for people to have respect for other people who live in a particular place every single day. I liken
4: what we've gone through uh, like running a marathon. I think the first 10 miles of it, we took a bit of time to get into our stride.
3: Broken backs, cut hands can all be avoided by having a post box on the edge of your property.
1: Hello, I'm Fiona. I'm Judy. And I'm John. And we're very excited to bring you the first ever episode of 2N, Why Are We Doing
0: This? Well, it's because for a while now we've felt that whilst there are plenty of newspapers and radio stations for the county of Norfolk, there's nothing that really caters for the interests of people here in North Norfolk, and we want to change that.
3: So if you've got any ideas for stories you'd like us to cover, issues you want us to look into, or anything else you think local people really need to hear, drop us a line at studio at 2nradio.com or give us a call on
1: 077 We kick off this week with a story that's attracted a lot of attention, the plan to close down Wells Harbour Railway. Earlier this week, John went to take a look.
0: It's been a distinctive part of the sights and sounds of Wells for over 40 years, but the Harbour Railway could soon be hitting the buffers. It follows a decision by the Holcomb estate not to renew the lease of Gary and Alison Brecknell, who've operated the railway for the past 21 years. Wells Harbour Railway was established in 1976 when Commander Roy Francis brought his first narrow gauge steam locomotive to the town. He went on to set up the Wells and Walsingham Light Railway. But now the Brecknells have been told that Holcomb plans to remove the railway from the land before the end of their current lease. It's not been a popular decision. Ashley Illingsworth from Nottingham, a visitor to the town since childhood, has started an online petition which has so far gained over 50,000 signatures. I spoke to Ashley about his love for the railway and what he'd like to see happen next.
2: It's absolute madness. It's, It's part of so many people's holidays. I know it's part of my holidays and you think how many people have used that railway. It's what makes Wells, really. It's so quaint and unique. So um, how,
0: how did you first hear about um, about the fact that they were, were wanting to close it down?
2: I follow a couple of bloggers and, and Instagram pages and the article came up on one of their pages so, and, and then I, you know, Google it and, and that's, when I, when, that's when I first first heard about it. I spoke to my mum and dad and even my mum, who's so calm and placid, you could tell, you know, she was quite upset by it. You think of, as I say, you go back to it and think of all the memories I've got from it think of the memories how the many thousands of people have got of it and how many thousands of people could have from it in the future as well. I really want to take my my son. It's coming up to his third birthday and I'd love to take him. Well, we're going to we're actually going to Sandringham hopefully soon. Um end of june and that was one of the things we want to go to wells and and do everything that you 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 do when you go to wells
0: so you started the petition you can't have imagined that it would ever get over fifty thousand signatures from people right across the country so why do you think so many people
2: feel so strongly about it it must be similar feelings to me and people are probably thinking you know it'll be another nail in the coffin for wells potentially so many things get taken away for financial reasons health and safety reasons or or what have you but it's been there it's been part of the dna of wells for so many years the affection for it i think is 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 the main thing
0: obviously there's quite a lot of public pressure Fifty thousand plus people what, yeah what would you like to see the holcomb estate do next
2: i mean i i'd like them to come out and, and i think they'd have a a lot of respect if they released a statement saying okay i suppose we were wrong in, in a sense we didn't realise it was that much love for it
0: It's been there for a long time. lots of people love it. it has, um, you've yeah. explained very well why it matters and you know it, it brings back memories across whole generations. Uh, yeah so uh, we'll see what happens next. but thank you very much. We approached the Holker mistake to take part in this podcast but received no reply. We then asked them if they'd like to provide a statement, but once again no reply was received. This isn't the first time in the railway's history where its future has been threatened. Following the North Sea storm surge in 1978, more than half a mile of the railway track was washed away, putting it out of use for over six months. So maybe there's still a chance of another reprieve for this much-loved local feature. And perhaps, after Holcomb have taken stock, they'll signal their intention to get back on track.
1: It's it's interesting hearing uh, Ashley's point of view about how sentimentally attached he is to the uh, Wells Railway. And that's something that's great for us to hear. We all want our tourists to form a a genuine attachment to North Norfolk and the things it offers. However, um, in a nice way, we also have to recognise that there can be slight tensions that can come up uh, between the tourist sector and the the residents as such, even though the residents welcome tourists, in as much as part of that gift of being so well liked means that people want to agitate for change in North Norfolk when they don't actually live here. How far do we say this is a tourist area to the perhaps slight detriment of residents and and how far do we say this is a residential area to the detriment of some tourists?
0: Mm. You're absolutely right because um, as as well as the the Wells story this week we've heard um, about residents in Hayesborough um, who've had a very difficult two summers actually, this, this summer just starting and last year as well, um, with people parking on, on narrow roads, parking in people's driveways, being actually quite abusive when asked not to park there or asked to move. So of course we want visitors back in Norfolk, especially after the, the year of COVID. We need our tourist industry to thrive again. Um, but we also need to look after the people who live here. I think that's that's what we're saying, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting because people see North Norfolk as the tourist destination. It actually isn't the biggest income earner. Manufacturing in North Norfolk actually provides more employment and more return than tourism does. And so I think we can sometimes get that out of perspective. The other point I'd like to make is that we saw during the year of COVID real tensions between people living here during lockdown and visitors coming up to their second homes and to their caravans and so forth. And it was well documented in Wales as well, in Cornwall, in actually all parts of the country where people like to go on holidays and have bought second homes. And we know the problems that second homeowners are seen to bring to a place like North Norfolk because prices have gone up and up and up never more so frankly than during this last 12 months of covid and more and more people are moving into the area and they are pricing out local families and i think this actually should feed into a discussion about the priorities we give to tourism and growing tourism and maintaining tourism and those we give to those who actually live here and i think you know there's a strong argument for developing Other ways of earning living in North Norfolk. I, for example, would love to see the film industry really supported here to be offering jobs. We know how many people come up here to make films. You know, many, many, many films and TV programmes are made around North Norfolk, around the coastline. And I would rather see us develop an amazing film industry and provide high quality jobs through that route than having yet another B&B open up putting more pressure on parking and all the other problems that we've seen coming down the road, particularly this last 12 months.
0: Seasonal jobs are seasonal and actually it's quite good for us to be thinking about those jobs and those sectors that are are year round as well, isn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think it's absolutely vital that. I think sitting back and taking a wider look, what's good for people who live here, which isn't purely let's drive tourism, it's protect tourism, invite tourists by all means, but let's
1: diversify where people can work. I think that's that's a very good point and one quite close to my heart. I volunteer as a mentor at a a local school near where I live. And if you're trying to listen to young people and encourage them to think about actually making a contribution to North Norfolk, I mean, there are lots of bright young people uh, living here and you'd like them to actually not think the first thing they want to do is go away to find work. I did read an article in a broadsheet newspaper that was advertising how much property purchases going up and it was lauding the, uh, the beauty and the desirability of Cromer uh, and one line that it used to describe the, the you know how wonderful Cromer is as if as, was as if to say it's like uh, the Notting Hill situation a few years ago in London and I know what they meant what they meant was Notting Hill was seen to be a bit scruffy and now it's smart but I don't want Cromer to be like Notting Hill I want Cromer to be like Cromer I want us to retain our Norfolk identity without being uh, insular. I want us to have that character um, retained in our town. I don't
3: want to be rude about whoever wrote that piece, Fiona, but Cromer is not remotely like Notting Hill (laughs) Gate. Not Notting Hill Gate in 2021 or Notting Hill Gate in like 1950. I've never heard such an extraordinary thing. Had he actually visited Cromer?
1: Who knows, Judy, but he wrote for a very important newspaper.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, that's uh, an interesting discussion and it's a subject that's obviously uh, going to run and run. Um, If you're a visitor or a resident, uh, why not tell us what you think by contacting us on 07766 049329 or dropping us a line at studio at (laughs) 2nradio.com. In 2019, Duncan Baker became North Norfolk's first Conservative MP for over 18 years. Two years on, we wanted to find out how he settled into the job and what his priorities are to make this a better place to live and work. Fiona spoke to Duncan to find out more.
1: Duncan Baker, um, MP for North Norfolk, thank you for joining us. It's good to see you. Um, You were voted in, uh, as we know, as the MP for North Norfolk in 2019, and a lot has happened globally and nationally with the coronavirus situation. It's been a hard time Duncan for many people and uh, here at 2N John, Judy and I think people want to hear some good things. So what positive message Duncan would you like to bring to the people of North Norfolk today?
4: Well look Fiona it's it's really lovely to talk to you thank you very much Look, it has been an extraordinary period of time. You know, it was 100 days, I think, the actual day when I stood in Parliament on the 23rd of March and we ruled that we were going to go back home and that there was a global pandemic on its way. And I can still remember where I was, I'm sure like everybody else, when they heard that news come from the Prime Minister. And we're now coming out the other side. I think, you know, I liken what we've gone through uh, like a running a marathon. I think the first 10 miles of it, we took a bit of time to get into our stride. But, you know, since we've got to November, we had our lockdown, we got through Christmas, we then started to roll out what has been just the most phenomenal vaccination strategy in the entire world. We're now looking at, you know, vaccinating uh, nearly 50% of all of our populations with their second jab already. Uh, It's been well beating And on the 21st of June, I'm confident that we will be getting a huge amount of normality back. And that is an incredible achievement that everybody should be incredibly proud of. And North Norfolk is poised to be in pole position. We've seen already really innovative businesses springing up all across the area, our domestic tourism, we're heavily de- uh, dependent on leisure and tourism. They will thrive, Fiona, I'm absolutely confident of that. Uh, unemployment, you know, unemployment was first predicted to be around 12% by the OBR. The predictions at the moment are five and a half percent. We went into this pandemic at 4%. I mean, that is a phenomenal achievement that the government has kept our economy going and as buoyant as it has been despite this absolutely phenomenal period we've gone through so I'm really optimistic I'm so optimistic that businesses will thrive all the predictions will be positive and the east always punches above its weight and I'm really really excited to be able to support many of our constituents to get back on their feet again
1: Well, that definitely is good to hear, Duncan. And indeed, we're looking towards a very busy uh, summer tourist season. That's what everyone's saying. Um, It really is great, as you say, for local business here. Uh, North Norfolk is, of course, a very friendly place, and we do welcome visitors, um, and they invariably bring crowds. Notwithstanding that we we welcome them with open arms, how can we support tourism whilst also caring for the environment?
4: Well, look, this has been uh, an area that I've been particularly keen to work on. Um, You know, both business, I'm a business ambassador for the party in the east of England, but I've also been a real champion for the environment ever since I got elected. And, for instance... You've seen the enormous amount of work that uh, many MPs in the East, there's a a windy quintet, we call ourselves, although Bernard Jenkins is now joining the party, so we're up to six now. Uh, And we've just fought tooth and nail to protect our environment from the cable corridors that are coming in and connecting to the national grid. But we all couple the environment with also having sustainable tourism. And I think we will see that happen. We've seen... In the last week, uh, the Environment Bill, a huge thrust, landmark piece of legislation that aim to protect our nature uh, and leave it in a better position than when we inherited it. So I think there are huge reforms coming. I think North Norfolk and its people care enormously about the environment. And they've got an MP who very much wants to champion that and protect it. Um,
1: And and indeed, if you're talking about the environment as well, there are plenty of fantastic volunteers in North Norfolk doing all sorts of things, picking up litter off the beach and everything. Talking about working together in general across all sorts of activities, um, making North Norfolk the best it can be the the amount of volunteers in this region is quite staggering and they do contribute so much to their communities um what would you like to say to them and can you actually give any examples of volunteers um you have met and the work that they do that are memorable to you
4: yes i mean that has been the standout uh standout part of being the mp uh, that you have this ability now to meet and connect with communities and volunteers within our communities which frankly i'm astounded by hearing just such amazing work that is going on and now we saw this throughout the pandemic we've had incredibly low uh, case rates here but what has helped uh, our, our communities is just how people have risen to the fore to support one another now we saw that through the pandemic with every town and village having a group that rose the challenge because we've got uh, understandably one of the oldest demographics in the country and therefore we have very much needed uh, groups to support one another but as we begin to come out of the pandemic it's been a privilege to then start to meet people And whether it's meeting groups down in Horsey that care for and protect the seals when they are giving birth to uh, their young, or whether it's looking at the conservation work that's being done by the North Walsham and Dillon uh, Canal volunteers. You know, Fiona, I am just amazed by what people achieve when they all work together.
1: It's interesting when you mention the uh, older demographic in North Norfolk. It's a great place as well for young people, isn't it? Um, What do you think going forward as you think about how North Norfolk's developing? um, What do you think North Norfolk brings to old and young alike? Because um, we we value uh, the older population and the younger population. So how do you see it going forward, Duncan?
4: That is a really great question because we can get very uh, much hung up on the older generation here, but actually, there's an incredibly talent rich younger generation. Now, look, you've got an MP. Uh, who came from the real world, who ended, who was running uh, a business, was a co-director in a business who employed young people in and around the Holt area through the apprenticeship scheme. And I've always been an advocate for the talent that we've got. When you give people opportunities, they just shine and they rise to the top. And they are absolutely abundant throughout North Norfolk. And I've seen that firsthand. This isn't an MP who's just talking about it. This is an MP who's seen it and helped people. So... That is uh, an incredible, credible, talent-rich pool of people that we've got. And what I want to do is make sure that these people can settle down in the constituency, can buy a good home and live here in their home. And that is the most powerful message, that we can actually do that. Now, we will do that. We're seeing reforms coming through with the Homes First initiative that the government's giving, where people will be able to help to buy their own home at a discounted price in this area.
1: Um, so in, in terms of keeping the character of North Norfolk, when, when you know, uh, longer-term residents here say there's a wonderful character here, how, how do we keep the character of North Norfolk so that it doesn't become a, a sort of standardised area?
4: Well, I think that North Norfolk needs gentle evolution rather than revolution, and so when you see uh, the North getting huge chunks of money for the levelling up agenda, uh, here we still need funding, but here I think our needs and our wants are very different. Uh, Here it is very much about that gentle evolution. So yes, there are some infrastructure requirements. And I know that we've got a brilliant uh, County Councillor in Judy Oliver in Sheringham, who are trying to bring forward the Sheringham roundabout. We've got work that's going on to connect in effect from uh, Great Yarmouth all the way through to Lynn with uh, green cycling and walking routes using levelling up funding, which will enable people to be able to walk and cycle on our coastal path. So there are projects going on aiding connectivity but these are evolution. These are not massive revolution projects. And so as as the MP for the area who grew up here, I'm very sympathetic and conscious that we do that in a gentle way that enhances our area beautifully, but without destroying what we've got.
1: That's great to hear, Duncan. Um, and thank you very much for joining us today. It certainly has been quite a positive message, and certainly we all need one. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. During the Covid lockdown many of us started making even more use of home deliveries from Amazon, Tesco and local shops too. But have you ever thought about postal workers and delivery workers who make it all happen? Well if you're
3: asking me what I know about this let me tell you that I know about a woman who used to work in the care home and she lost her job when the Covid lockdown began and she became a delivery agent for Amazon and I thought this was absolutely fascinating so I asked how it worked and I'm going to tell you how it works in case anyone listening is interested so you apply to Amazon or I guess any of the big delivery companies and you get given a little area you work in which you're really familiar with because it's where you live you get a route all done on GPS, they know where you are, they can pick you up when you break down. You say how big your car is, isn't that sweet? And then they then give you parcels that'll fit your car. They deliver to your house between 8 and 10 every single morning. You will always have some parcels, you might have as few as 30, you might have 200. And you get paid per parcel. So if someone's ordered two mascaras, an eyeliner and a blusher, that's five different parcels, five different fees. All to the same house and you get to know all the houses you go to because you always have the same delivery routes you know where to leave them or behind the shed or whatever it is and these people are loving it because they're getting all their work done by lunchtime even on a big delivery route they're doing 150 parcels so they're making about 130 140 pounds a morning they're done by lunchtime in the afternoon they're on the beach walking a dog whatever it is they want to do. And it's become a really brilliant self-employed book called quasi self-employed form of employment. So just putting, I have no shares in Amazon, totally objective (laughs) advice, but what a great job. Yeah. the second thing I'd like to say while we're talking about deliveries, can I just mention my favorite, favorite bugbear? I recently had to deliver some leaflets. I won't bother to say why, but trust me when I say, it was an awful lot of leaflets. And the houses that get full marks in my books are the ones that have their post box at the very end of their gate, on the drive, basically right by the pavement, and you just pop the leaflet in. The second category are those who have letterboxes in their door, and you have to walk to the front door, but it's not too far to walk. And then the ones that come bottom of my list are the ones you walk up a crunchy, gravelly drive. So everyone's hearing you coming there, probably watching you out of the windows. You make your way up the gravel and when you get there, your heart sinks because the post box is virtually on the ground and you have to put down your bag. You then have to get your letter and you try to put it into the letterbox. And what happens, your fingers get caught by that black bit of kind of plastic fur thing, draft excluder, and then you're completely trapped. And probably at that point, the dog comes up and then takes the letter from you. And what I don't understand, it is a serious point, is why do we allow people to have post boxes, letter boxes, which down at the bottom, those postmen coming must have so many back problems, bending down to push the letters through something which is literally an inch of ground level. I would like to see legislation that made it unlawful to have any letter box that was below waist height. But I actually think it ought to be like America, where everyone has to have a post box right by the entrance to their property
1: and less than a town and you can see the you know, the doorways a foot away. Yeah, I can I can see the sense in that and I've delivered a few things too, and when you get Uh, letterboxes which are really low to the ground it does hurt your back you know and if someone's doing that as a job all the time there must be some injuries involved.
3: And think how long they take you know you imagine having to walk up the gravel drive the one that could be on my list and it's probably taking in fact I know someone who reckoned he'd walked an extra half to one mile delivering the same number of leaflets because there were so many drives he had to walk up and down. Broken backs, cut hands can all be avoided by having a post box on the edge of your property.
0: Last month, North Norfolk was gripped by election fever, but no matter who the winners and losers were, we wanted to discuss what the results will mean for North Norfolk. The new leader of the County Council, Andrew Proctor, outlined his priorities for
5: Norfolk. There's three key strands to that, really. One is the the post-COVID situation, we've got to move on, we've got to rebuild our economy, revitalise our economy, and also our society as well. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we do have big investment plans for Norfolk as well, investing in care, investing in the services that people want us to deliver as well, and also the the big infrastructure projects uh, such as those in Great Yarmouth and the Norwich Western Link. And, And the third limb of that really is all about how we keep working for all our communities across the whole of the county nobody should be thinking well it's not part of our county because it's part of the whole county and that's the most important thing we're here to serve all the residents all the businesses in Norfolk.
0: Well it was interesting how he touched on um, the need to think about the the whole county because certainly if you just follow the Eastern Daily Press on a, on a regular basis, it does seem over the past couple of years like most of the investment has gone to Kings Lynn, Yarmouth and Norwich. And sometimes North Norfolk feels like the, the poor relation. What do you think?
3: I think historically that is absolutely true. I, I think that it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because if you look at the population of North Norfolk, there are around 100,000 people that live here. And if you look at the population of Yarmouth, which is effectively a borough in its own right, there are around 100,000 people that live there. So in fact if you did it per capita spend I think you'd find the per capita spend in Yarmouth was way above that of people living in North Norfolk. When people talk to me they talk about things like the pothole in the road outside where they live because actually it prevents a real problem and when a lot of the issues that people have are really like that. They are potholes. They are high issues. They are about getting their dustbins emptied. And they're not about these bigger picture things like building a new road or building a new recycling centre. Because I think a lot of people will take that for granted. Is what the county council does. It's what it's there for. And I think to make it really relevant to people, you've, you've got to really listen and hear what their concerns are
1: as well as having these big project ideas. I'm in mind then, I'm put in mind of if information comes from the ground up rather than from the top down, um, of the value of parish councils um, and uh, district councils. Now, no matter the political colour, um, I think we do have to you know, praise people who can be bothered, especially at parish council level to go along on a winter's night and, and, and sit in a cold village hall and talk about you know, the problems in their village or what needs to be done. So I would like to see a more streamlined and effective form of information that comes from the ground up to the powers that be.
0: And uh, the other change uh, this May was the election of a new police and crime commissioner, Giles and Smelly. and um, Here's what he had to say.
5: I do have to do a consultation exercise um, and the public may give me different priorities. But I start with more visible policing, and and we've touched on that, addressing the expectation gap and allowing the public to see more of of their police force. Um, The second one is dealing with the high harm crime, as I describe it, Um, so all those things like domestic abuse, like um, um, county lines, drugs, the organised rural crime piece. And I'm also going to put into that um, bearing down on the horrible toll of deaths and serious injuries on our roads. The third one is looking after victims. And I think the particular angle there is having a look at the criminal justice system because I'm concerned it is taking too long for victims of crime to see their cases reach the courts. It's also too long for um, people accused of crimes. Justice delayed is justice denied for both parties. And we have to remember that you're innocent until proven guilty. And some people are found not guilty in court. And it's taking too long at the moment to get some of these things to court.
0: Uh, What I really liked about that was what he said at the very, very top of that clip, um, that actually he's got his priorities, but he wants to actually talk to people and listen and potentially adjust those priorities Mm -hmm. based on what people want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's in line again with really listening, as we all seem to be agreed on. I, I, I for one, uh, think that the road safety thing is, is extremely important. And it's one that so many people talk about. Speeding, I think, in villages
3: is a huge, huge evil. It's, it's, and it's so unnecessary. It's really a quality of life thing, too. If you get cars whizzing past your front door, it's actually very unpleasant. And there's no extremely. need. Just get up earlier you know, just get up early and don't be in a hurry.
0: And I think what what rounds this off quite interestingly, actually, is we come back to where we were earlier on in the podcast, where we were talking about just the need for people to have respect for other people who live in a particular place every single day. So right. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Well, that's all for this, the very first episode of 2N.
1: We do hope you've enjoyed listening. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and to get in touch with your news, views and story ideas too.
0: You can call us on 07766 049329 or email us at studio at 2nradio.com. You can also keep in touch by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.
3: So join us again next time for more news from the heart of North Norfolk.